0: section 28 of the house of the white shadows this librivox recording is in the public domain the house of the white shadows by bl fargeon section 28 book 6 chapters 1 through 3 book 6 a record of the past chapter 1 the discovery of the manuscript all was silent in the house of white shadows strange as was the drama that was in progress within its walls it found no open expression and to the advocate seated alone in his study was about to be unfolded a record of events long buried in the past the disclosure of which had not up to this moment been revealed to man during the afternoon the advocate had said to Christian Almer, Now that I have leisure, I intend, with your permission, to devote some time to your father's works. In his day, certainly for a number of years, he was celebrated and well known in many countries, and I have heard surprise expressed that a career which promised to shed lasting lustre upon the name you bear seemed suddenly to come to an end. Of this abrupt break in the labors of an eminent man, there is no explanation as to what led to it and in what way it was broken off. I may chance upon the reason of a singular and complete diversion from a pursuit which he loved. It will interest me if you will give me permission to search among his papers. A permission, rejoined Christian Almer, freely accorded everything in the study is at your disposal for my own part the impressions of my childhood are of such a nature as to render distasteful the records of my father's labors but you are a student and a man of deeper observation and research than myself you may unearth something of value i place all my father's manuscripts at your unreserved disposal pray read them if you care to do so, and use them in any way you may desire. Thus it happened that, two hours before midnight, the advocate, after looking through a number of manuscripts, most of them in an incomplete shape, came upon some written pages, the opening lines of which exercised upon him a powerful fascination. The only heading of these pages was, A Faithful Record, and it was made in the following strain chapter two christian almer's father it devolves upon me ernest christian almer as a duty to set down here in a brief form before i die the record of certain events in my life which led me to the commission of a crime whether justifiable or not whether this which I call a crime may be otherwise designated as an accident, or as the execution of a just punishment for trust and friendship betrayed, is for others to determine. It is probable that no human eye will read what I am about to write until I am dead. But if it should be brought to light in my lifetime, I am ready to bear the consequences of my act. The reason why I myself do nothing to assist directly in the discovery, except in so far as making this record and placing it without concealment among my manuscripts, is that I may in that way be assisting in bringing into the life of my dear son Christian Almer a stigma and a reproach which will be a cause of suffering to him. If it should happen that many years elapse before these lines fall into the hands of a human being, it may, perhaps, be for the best. What is done is done, and cannot be recalled. Even had I the power to bring the dead to life, I doubt whether I should avail myself to it. My name is not unknown to the small world in which I live and move and i once cherished a hope that i should succeed in making it famous that hope is now like a flower burnt to ashes never more to blossom it proves the vanity of ambition upon which we pride ourselves and which we imbue with false nobility as a lad i was almost morbidly tender in my nature i shrank from giving pain to living creature the ordinary pursuits of childhood, in which cruelty to insects formed so prominent a feature, were to me revolting. To strip even a flower of its leaves was, in my eyes, a cruel proceeding. And yet I have lived to take a human life. My earliest aspiration was to win a name in literature. Every book I read and admired assisted in making this youthful aspiration a fixed purpose when i became a man often as i read the last works of a book which had fired my imagination would i think and sometimes say aloud gladly would i die were i capable of writing a work so good so grand as this my parents were rich and allowed me to follow my bent when they died i was left sole heir to their wealth i had not to struggle as poorer men in the profession to which i resolved to devote myself have had to do so much the worse for me perhaps but that now matters little whether the books i hoped to write would be eagerly sought after or not was of no moment to me what i desired was to produce for the rest, as to being successful or unsuccessful, I was equal to either fortune. I made many friends and acquaintances, who grew to learn that they could use and enjoy my house as their own. In setting this down I lay no claim to unusual generosity. It was on my part simply the outcome of a nature that refused to become a slave to rigid forms of hospitality. The trouble entailed would have been too great, and I declined to undertake it. I chose to employ my hours after my own fashion, the fashion of solitude. I found great pleasure in it, and to see my friends around me without feeling myself called upon to sacrifice my time for their enjoyment, knowing, as they well knew, that they were welcome to the best my wealth and means could supply them with, this added to my pleasure a peculiar charm they were satisfied and so was i and only in one instance was my hospitality abused and my friendship betrayed but had i been wise this one instance would never have occurred to destroy the hopes of my life although it is running somewhat ahead of the sequence of events I may mention here the name of the man who proved false to friendship. It was Monsieur Gabriel. He was almost young enough to be my son, and when I first knew him he was a boy and I was a man. He was an artist, with rare talents, and at the outset of his career I assisted him, for, like the majority of artists, he was poor this simple mention of him will be sufficient for the present as when i was a lad i took no delight in the pleasures of lads of my own age so when i was a man i did not go the way of men in that absorbing passion to which is given the name of love those around me were drawn into the net which natural impulse and desire spread for mankind there was no credit in this it was simply that it did not happen. I was by no means a woman hater, but it would seem as if the pursuits to which I was devoted were too engrossing to admit of a rival. So I may say what few can say, that I had passed my fortieth year and had never loved. My turn came, however. Among my guests were the lady who afterwards became my wife, and her parents a sweet and beautiful lady twenty-five years my junior my unhappiness and ruin sprang from the chance which brought us together as did her wretchedness and misery in this i was more to blame than she much more to blame in the ordinary course of a life which had reached beyond its middle age I should have acquired sufficient experience to learn that youth should mate with youth, that nature has its laws which it is dangerous to trifle with. But such experience did not come to me. At forty-five years of age I was as unlearned as a child in matters of the heart. I had no thought of love or marriage, and the youngest man of my acquaintance, would have laughed at my simplicity had the opportunity been afforded him of seeing my inner life. It was not the fault of the young lady that she knew nothing of this simplicity. No claim whatever had I to demand to be judged by special and exceptional rules. She had a perfect right to judge me as any other man of my age would have been judged. All that can be said of it was that it was most unfortunate for her and for me. If it should happen, which is not unlikely, for the unforeseen is always occurring, that these pages should be read by a man who is contemplating marriage with one young enough to be his daughter, I would advise him to pause and submit his case to the test of natural reason. For if both live there must come a time when nature will take its revenge for the transgression. The glamour of the present is very alluring, but it is the duty of the wiser and the riper of the twain to consider the future, which will press more hardly upon the woman than upon the man. With the fashion of things as regards the coupling of the sexes, I have nothing to do. Fashions are artificial, and often most mischievous frequently when the deeper laws of nature are involved they are destructive and fatal it was my misfortune that during the visit of the young lady and her parents the father an old and harmless gentleman met his death through an accident while he i and other gentlemen were riding in my house he died it occasioned me distress and profound sorrow, and I felt myself in some way accountable, though the fault was none of mine. Before his death he and I had private confidences in which he asked me to look after his affairs, and if, as he feared, they were in an embarrassed state to act as protector to his daughter. I gave him the promise readily, and when he died I took a journey for the purpose of ascertaining how the widow and the orphan were circumstanced. I found that they were literally beggars. As gently as I could, I broke the news to them. The mother understood it. The daughter scarcely knew its meaning. Her charming, artless ignorance of the consequences of poverty deeply interested me, and I resolved in my mind how i could best serve her and render her future a happy one speaking as i am in a measure to my own soul i will descend to no duplicity that i was entirely unselfish in my desire that her life should be bright and free from anxieties with which she could not cope is true but none the less true is it that for the first time i felt myself under the dominion of a passion Deeper and more significant than I had ever felt for woman. It was love, I believe, but love in which there was reason. For I took myself to task. I set my age and hers before me. I did this on paper, and as I gazed at the figures, I said, Absurd. It is not in nature, and I must fight it down. I did wrestle with it and although I did not succeed in vanquishing it, I was sufficiently master of myself to keep the struggle hidden in my own breast. How, then, did this hapless lady become my wife? Not, in the first instance, through any steps voluntarily and unreasoningly taken by myself. I had firmly resolved to hold my feelings in check. It was the mother who accomplished that upon which she had set her heart. I may speak freely. This worldly mother has been long dead, and my confession cannot harm her. It was she who ruined at least the happiness of one life, and made me what I am. Needless here to recount the arts by which she worked to the end she desired, needless to speak of the deceits she practised to make me believe her daughter loved me it may be that the fault was mine and that i was too ready to believe sufficient to say that we fell into the snare she prepared for us that intoxicated by the prospect of an early heaven i accepted the meanings she put in her daughter's reserve and apparent coldness and that once engaged in the enterprise i was animated by the ardor of my own heart in which i allowed the flower of love to grow to fruition so we were married and with no doubt of the future i set out with my wife on our bridal tour she was both child and wife to me and i solemnly resolved and most earnestly desired to do my duty by her before we were many days away, news arrived that my wife's mother had met with an accident, in a part of the grounds which was being beautified by my workmen, according to plans I had prepared for the pleasure of my young bride, an accident so serious that death could not be averted. In sadness we returned to the villa. My wife's coldness I ascribed to grief, to no other cause and indeed apart from the sorrow i felt at the dreadful news i was myself overwhelmed for a time by the fatality which had deprived my wife of her parents within so short a time on my estate and while they were my guests but it will pass away i thought and i will be parents lover husband to the sweet flower who has given her happiness into my keeping when we arrived at the villa, her mother was dead. I allowed my wife's grief to take its natural course. Seeing that she wished for solitude, I did not intrude upon her sorrow. I had to study this young girl's feelings and impulses. It was my duty to be tender and considerate to her. I was wise and thoughtful and loving, as I believed. AND I SPARED NO EFFORT TO COMFORT WITHOUT DISTURBING HER. TIME WILL CONSOLE HER, I THOUGHT, AND THEN WE WILL BEGIN A NEW LIFE. SHE WILL LEARN TO LOOK UPON ME NOT ONLY AS A HUSBAND, BUT AS A PROTECTOR WHO WILL FULLY SUPPLY THE PLACE OF THOSE SHE HAS LOST. I WAS PATIENT, VERY PATIENT, AND I WAITED FOR THE CHANGE. IT NEVER CAME she grew more and more reserved towards me and still i waited and still was patient not for a moment did i lose sight of my duty but after a long time had passed i began to question myself i began to doubt whether i had not allowed myself to be deceived is it possible i asked myself that she married me without loving me when this torturing doubt arose i thrust it indignantly from me it was as though i was casting a stain upon her truth and purity chapter three a dishonourable concealment i will not recount the continual endeavours i made to win my wife to cheerfulness and a better frame of mind sufficient to say that they were unsuccessful and that many and many a time i gave up the attempt in despair to renew it again under the influence of false hopes unhappy and disheartened the pursuits in which i had always taken delight afforded me now no pleasure and though i sought relief in solitude and study i did not find it my peace of mind was utterly wrecked there was however in the midst of my wretchedness one ray of light in the course of a little while a child would be born to us and this child might affect what i was unable to accomplish when my wife pressed her baby to her breast when it drew life from her bosom she might be recalled to a sense of duty and of some kind of affection which i was ready to accept in the place of that thorough devoted love which i bore to her and which I had hoped she would bear to me. Considering this matter with as much wisdom as I could bring to my aid, I recognized the desirability of surrounding my wife with signs of pleasant and even joyful life. Gloomy parents are cursed with gloomy children. I would fill my house once more with friends. My wife should move in an atmosphere of cheerfulness. There should be music laughter sunny looks happy voices these could not fail to influence for good both my wife and our little one soon to be born i called friends around me and i took special care that there should be many young people among them their presence however did not at first arouse my wife from her melancholy and it was not until the man whose name i have already mentioned m gabriel arrived that i noticed in her any change for the better he came and i introduced him to my wife believing them to have been hitherto strangers to each other i had no reason to believe otherwise when i presented m gabriel to her had they met before it would have been but honest that one or both should have made me acquainted with the fact they did not, by direct or indirect word, and I had, therefore, no cause for suspicion. Things went on as usual for a week or two after M. Gabriel's arrival, and then I noticed with joy that my wife was beginning to grow more cheerful. My happiness was great. I have been too impatient, I thought, with this young girl. The shock of losing her parents one after another under circumstances so distressing was sufficient to upset a stronger mind than hers how unwise in me that i should have tormented myself as i had been doing for so many months past and how unjust to her that because she was sorrowful and silent i should have doubted her love for me but all was well now comfort had come to her bruised heart and the book of happiness was not closed to me as i had feared a terrible weight a gnawing grief were lifted from me for i could imagine no blacker treason than that a woman should deliberately deceive a man into the belief that she loved him and that she should marry him under such conditions my wife had not done this i had wronged her most fervently did i thank heaven that I had discovered my error before it was too late to repair it. I saw that my wife took pleasure in Monsieur Gabriel's society, and I made him as free of my house as if it had been his own. He had commissions to execute, pictures to paint. "'Paint them here,' I said to him. "'You bring happiness to us. I look upon you as though you belong to my family.' In the summer-house was a room which he used as a studio. No artist could have desired a better, and Monsieur Gabriel said he had never been able to paint as well as he was doing in my house. It gladdened me to observe that my wife, who had for a little while been reserved towards Monsieur Gabriel, looked upon him now as a sister might look upon a brother. I encouraged their intimacy and was grateful to Monsieur Gabriel for accepting my hospitality in the free spirit in which it was tendered. He expressed a wish to paint my wife's portrait, and I readily consented. My wife gave him frequent sittings, sometimes in my company, sometimes alone. And still no word was spoken to acquaint me with the fact that my wife and he had known each other before they met in my house my child was born a boy my happiness would have been complete had my wife shown me a little more affection but again after the birth of our child it dawned upon me that she cared very little for me and that the feelings she entertained for me in no wise resembled those which a loving woman should feel towards a husband who was indefatigable as indeed i was in his efforts to promote her happiness. Even then it did not strike me that she was happier in Monsieur Gabriel's society than she was in mine. The truth, however, was now to be made known to me. It reached me through the idle tittle-tattling of one of my guests. Of my own prompting, I doubt whether I should ever have discovered it. I overheard this lady making some injurious observations respecting my wife. No man's name was mentioned, but I heard enough to cause me to resolve to hear more, and to put an end at once to the utterances of a malicious tongue. During my life, in matters of great moment, I have seldom acted upon impulse, and the value of calm deliberation after sudden excitement of feeling has frequently been made apparent to me i sought this lady and told her that i had overheard the remark she had made on the previous day that i was profoundly impressed by them and intended to know what foundation there was for even a breath of scandal i had some difficulty in bringing her to the point but i was determined and would be satisfied with no evasions "'I love my wife, madam,' I said, "'too well to be content with half-words and innuendos, "'which in their effect are worse than open accusations.' "'Accusations!' exclaimed the lady. "'Good heavens! I have brought none!' "'It is for that reason I complain,' I said. "'Accusations can be met, "'and are by no means so much to be feared as idle words.' Which affect the honour of those who are the subject of them. I merely repeated, then said the lady, what others have been saying for a long time past. And what have others been saying for a long time past, madam? I asked, with an outward calmness which deceived her into the belief that I was not taking the matter seriously to heart. I am sure it is very foolish of them, said the lady and that there is nothing in it. But people are so mischievous, and place such dreadful constructions upon things. It is, after all, only natural that when, after a long separation, young lovers meet, they should feel a little tender towards each other, even though one of them has got married in the interval. We all go through such foolish experiences, and when we grow as old as you and I are, we laugh at them. "'Probably, madam,' I said, still with exceeding calmness. "'But before we can laugh with any genuineness or enjoyment, "'it is necessary to have some knowledge of the cause of our mirth. "'When young lovers meet,' you said, after a long separation, "'it is natural they should feel a tenderness towards each other. "'But we are speaking of my wife.' "'Yes,' she replied, "'of your wife and i am sure you are too sensible a man so much older than that sweet creature to make any unnecessary bother about it she knew well how to plant daggers in my heart my wife then is one of those young lovers you really must answer me madam these are after all but foolish experiences i am glad you are taking it so sensibly she rejoined yes your wife is one of the young lovers and the other madam why who else should it be but monsieur gabriel i did not speak for a few moments the shock was so severe that i required time to recover some semblance of composure my mind is much relieved i said there is not the slightest foundation for scandal, and I trust that this interview will put an effectual stop to it. My wife and Monsieur Gabriel have not been long acquainted; they met each other for the first time in this house. Ah, cried the lady very vivaciously. You want to deceive me now, but it is nonsense. Your wife and Monsieur Gabriel have known each other for many years they were once affianced had you not stepped in there is no knowing what might have occurred it is much better as it is i am sure you think so what can be worse for a young and beautiful creature than to marry a poor and struggling artist monsieur gabriel is very talented but he is very poor by the time he is a middle-aged man he may have made his way in the world and then his little romance will be forgotten, quite forgotten. I dare say you can look back to the time when you were as young as he is, and can recall somebody you were madly in love with, but of whom you never think, except by the merest chance. These things are so common, you see. And now, don't let us talk any more about it. I had no desire to exchange another word with the lady on the subject. I allowed her to rest in the belief that I had been acquainted with the whole affair, and did not wish it to get about. She promised me never to speak of it again to her friends in any injurious way, said it was a real pleasure to see what a sensible view I took of the matter, and our interview was at an end. I had learnt all. At length, at length my eyes were opened and the perfidy which had been practised towards me was revealed all was explained my wife's constant coldness her insensibility to the affectionate advances i had made towards her her pleasure at meeting her lover the unworthy picture lay before my sight there was no longer any opportunity for self-deception had I not recognized and acknowledged the full extent of the treason, I should have become base in my own esteem. It was not that they had been lovers, that knowledge in itself would have been hard to bear, but that they should have concealed it from me, that they should have met in my presence as strangers, that they should have tacitly agreed to trick me for hours i could not think with calmness upon these aspects of the misery which had been forced upon me for she my wife was in the first instance responsible for our marriage she could have refused me i was in utter ignorance of a love which during all these years had been burning in her heart and making her life and mine a torture had she been honest had she been true SHE WOULD HAVE SAID TO ME, I LOVE ANOTHER. HOW, THEN, CAN I ACCEPT THE LOVE YOU OFFER ME, AND HOW CAN YOU HOPE FOR A RETURN? IF CIRCUMSTANCES COMPEL ME TO MARRY YOU, THERE MUST BE NO CONCEALMENT, NO TREASON. YOU MUST TAKE ME AS I AM, AND NEVER, NEVER MAKE MY COLDNESS THE CAUSE OF REPROACH OR UNHAPPINESS. Yes, this much she might have said to me when I offered her my name, a name upon which there had hitherto been no stain and no dishonour. I should not have married her. I should have acted as a father towards her. I should have conducted her to the arms of her lover, and into their lives and mine would not have crept this infamy, this blight, this shame which even death cannot efface. Of such a nature were my thoughts during the day. Then came the resolve to be sure before I took action in the matter. The evidence of my own senses should convince me that in my own house my wife and her lover were playing a base part, were systematically deceiving me and laughing at me. Of this man, this friend, whom I had taken to my heart, my horror and disgust were complete i whose humane instincts had in my youth been made the sport of my companions who shrank from inflicting the slightest injury upon the meanest creature that crawled upon the earth who would not even strip the leaves from a flower found myself now transformed had Monsieur gabriel been in my presence at any moment during these hours of agonizing thought i should have torn him limb from limb and rejoiced in my cruelty. So little do we know ourselves. End of Section 28